This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too, Quache. What is this? A face? What is this? A book? Oh my God. Facebook. I did you Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Liz Garber-Paul, filling in for Britney Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. And so, EJ, Young Gravy took Addison Ray's mom to the VMAs. Yes, it's very exciting. I mean, I think this was the only part of the VMAs that I cared about personally. Oh, for sure. Definitely. To fill people in, if you haven't been following, a few weeks ago, I know you guys talked about this on the podcast, Young Gravy's near mythical love of MILFs and whether or not his extended flirtation with Addison Ray's mother, Sherry, was going to amount to anything. Indeed, Britney expressed skepticism that it would and has been a conspiracy theory that Young Gravy is only pretending to love MILFs for clout. My theory is he doesn't like MILFs as much as he says he does. <laughs> is he doing it for attention? I think he's doing it for clout. Like, I think he's doing it for clout. Like, I think he's, like, doing it because it's, like, he thinks it's, like, funny. And it's, like, I don't know, just, like, talk the talk, walk the walk. Like, fuck a MILF. Date Sherry publicly. This is apparently not the case, though. And they're a thing. Or at least they were trying to make it seem like a thing when they made the first red carpet appearance together on Sunday. They made out on the red carpet, and it looked pretty natural, honestly. And they looked very cute together. I think I hit on her first. I knew of her. I thought she was fine. She's like a little southern belle, and I'm like a northern boy, so it felt, it felt really cute and wholesome. So, you know, we got straight to it. Sherry's ex, Monty Lopez, Addison Ray's dad, who has responded to all this drama by threatening to beat the shit out of Young Gravy, possibly the cringiest response to this. He responded in typical classy fashion by posting a shirtless pic with the caption, Thank you, Young Gravy, for taking the leftovers. That's the mother of his children he was talking to. <laughs> yeah. It must be just humiliating, not only for Addison, who's unfollowed both of her parents and who didn't show up to the VMAs, thankfully, this year, but also to her younger brothers, who must be mortified by all of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Your dad posting shirtless videos threatening to beat up your mom's new boyfriend is like a far worse offense than your mom being like a little gross in public with her new boyfriend. But none of it can be fun for either for any of these kids. Absolutely. He's coming out of this. Well, he responded very classily to somebody on the red carpet asked him like, hey, like, are you going to fight Monty Lopez? And he was like, no, I'm just going to keep living my life and having sex with this hot older woman, which is an extremely dignified response. So I'm proud of him. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't know who he was before all of this. So so good on him there. Yeah. It's raising his profile for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Addison Ray and her family drama. Also raising the profile of MILFs. So which always needs to be raised. Exactly. There needs to be increased MILF awareness. I might start our charity when I have this baby and like start doing like charity walks, like the walk for Alzheimer's for MILF for increased for MILF. MILF awareness. Yeah. For MILFs. My husband... <laughs> I mean, we'll probably cut this. My husband and his friends always used to talk about doing a walk for FIBS, which stands for fatigue induced boner syndrome. Apparently, when you're really tired and you're a straight man, like you get a boner and it can be really distracting for the rest of the day. So he always they always used to like talk about doing FIBS awareness walks to raise money for FIBS. So that's what I would it just be a bunch of men, tired men walking through the streets with boners. Though? Yeah, yeah, basically with their boners flipped up to their boxer short waistbands because <laughs> <laughs> they're because they're so tired and didn't sleep last night. <laughs> they just yeah, and all the posters would be like just men who look really tired, <laughs> just like these black and white portraits of like men with these hollowed out eyes being like. I got three hours of sleep last night. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I want to do with MILFs. And I would hire Sherry as my spokesperson because she is the spokesmodel of MILF awareness these days. I believe he even called her the queen of MILFs. <laughs> what an honor. Honestly, what an honor. get you a man who calls you the queen of MILF. <laughs> like he is the ultimate catch. Shall we do straight people? Straight. 
people. All right. Welcome to Straight People, where we discuss the shenanigans of the toxic heterosexuals in our lives. Typically, we discuss like dating and breakup rumors on here. But this has been the only subject that I have been asked about by my non-online friends. Like, and that's sort of how I gauge like what we should talk about on the podcast, like whether or not my non-online friends are asking me to explain something. Liz, do you have you been following the Olivia Wilde, Shia LaBeouf, Don't Worry Darling drama? I actually have. I'm such a sucker for like a mid-century costume thriller that I've been really, really excited about Don't Worry Darling. Obviously, I work at Rolling Stone, so I'm a huge Harry Styles fan. Mm -hmm. So I've had to kind of follow this from that angle anyway. That's right. It takes place in the 1950s. In the midst of all of the press about this movie, like I barely know what this movie's about. That's right. It's supposed to take place in the 1950s. Yeah, it's like a bunch of like men who get jobs with some kind of like secret government thing and then they're wives are trying to figure out what it is and they're all it's unclear if they know what this secret project is and then things start to get really freaky oh my god that sounds bad i wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i was really excited to see it and now i don't want to see it anymore <laughs> there's a lot of sexy scenes with harry styles though that i'm on board with okay, but yeah. last week we talked about florence Pugh, the internet's girlfriend she's the co-star of this movie don't worry darling it's gotten a lot of press for many 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 different reasons. It features Florence and Harry Styles, our latest cover star. There's a scene where he goes down on her in the trailer. As Liz mentioned, it's gotten a lot of attention. But perhaps more to the point, the movie's directed by Olivia Wilde, who is dating Harry Styles. And she is widely rumored to have left her partner, Jason Sudeikis, to date him. They broke up November 2020, I think. And that was around the time that Harry was cast. And Harry and her made their first public debut in like very, very early 2021. So that set tongues a wagging. I have a whole side note written here about my personal connection to Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis. They lived in my neighborhood for a long time. They were very nice. They said my baby was cute many times when I ran into them on the street. So if you are nice to my child or my dog, you are forever in my good graces. So I am pro both Jason and Olivia for this reason. Harry and Olivia have this whirlwind courtship. She's always on tour with him. The Harry stands aren't happy about this. They are always tweeting, frankly, like insane and jealous things about her. And rumors start to swirl that Florence was not too happy about this relationship either for a few reasons. There was speculation she got paid a lot less than Harry, which Florence's team denied. But the most likely scenario to me that people have discussed is that Olivia was dating this very hot pop star, probably paying a lot of attention to him on set. And Florence, as the star of the film, was like understandably not thrilled about that. And in the midst of all of this, Florence has commented on almost none of it. This is the context you need to understand what happened late last week. Liz, do you want to take it from here since you've been following this? <laughs> I have. And I actually want to interrupt because where I've lost the plot a little bit here is what is it that makes us think Florence is actually like uncomfortable with Harry and Olivia and the way that all went? It's largely rumors. It's largely rumors. But the rumors have really been fueled by the fact that she has shied away from doing a lot of press for this movie. Like there has been Olivia has been like very, very aggressively promoting this movie. Harry has very, very aggressively been promoting this movie. And Florence has largely not done that. When you do a movie like you're obviously expected to do like a fair amount of press. And she's done like one or two posts or like stories on her Instagram. But I like there was one time where Olivia and Harry were both putting up like promo for the movie and she was putting up promo for an entirely different movie about like I think the inventor of the atomic bomb or something so people really read into that and they were like okay that's very strange that she's not promoting this movie I think also the way that she talked about Olivia in the Harper's Bazaar profile she doesn't mention her by name but a big part of what Olivia has been doing on this press tour is being like this is a movie about female empowerment this is a movie about like female orgasms and like sex positivity she did a photo shoot where she wore like a really cringy shirt that said like female ejaculation is the future which is like whatever but Florence made a comment in that profile that was something to the effect of that's not why I did this movie that's not why me as an actor like why I do what I do and so I think people took those two 
things together and it sort of added fuel to the fire that was already going on because of all these rumors. I mean, I could definitely understand being uncomfortable having being an actress and having this big role and having the director just focus on your eyes rolling back in your head while the hunky guy goes down on you as opposed to like the rest of the empowerment of the movie. Anyway, so I guess this leads up to where we are now, where Olivia gives this interview to Variety, where she discusses these rumors. But what really attracts people's attention is some of the mealy-mouthed stuff she says in the magazine. She gives a magazine about not Harry or Florence, but Shia LaBeouf, who was originally cast in Harry's role. They asked why he was fired, and here's what she says. His process was not conducive to the ethos that I demanded in my productions. He has a process that, in some ways, seems to require a combative energy. And I don't personally believe that that is conducive to the best performances. Jay, what do you think of this? I mean, my first thought was that this is a bullshit quote. Like, it's the kind of quote that, like, frankly, if like she if I were interviewing her and she had given it to me, my eyes would have been rolling in the back of my head. I mean, it makes sense. Like, Shia is famously like an incredibly mercurial personality, like at the very least like he's been arrested like he grabbed alan cummings ass at a performance of cabaret like he was arrested for disorderly conduct at a bar he the body cam footage captured him making racist remarks and he's also this came out kind of after he was he left don't worry darling but his ex fka twigs sued him for sexual battery and physical abuse so there's definitely like a lot of evidence here to support her version of events. Definitely, though, he did, I should note, just say on a podcast a couple weeks ago or a few days ago that he feels terrible about how that all went down. And I believe FK Twigs called that gaslighting. But I did want to note that he did make those comments. The point being, like, it's not what she's saying is like, it's not entirely surprising that she is basically saying in so many words, he was an asshole on set and that's why he was fired. So that's why everyone was so surprised when Shia comes out after this Variety story to show the receipts. He releases an email he wrote to Olivia Wilde in which, and that email basically refutes that he was fired. He is going around saying that he quit due to lack of rehearsal time. He then releases a video that Olivia sent him around this time, which very much makes it seem like she is begging for him to stay on the project despite resistance from Florence Pugh. And that immediately goes insanely viral. Shia, Shia, Shia. I just went riding my horse, very sweaty, but I wanted to reach out because I feel like I'm not ready to give up on this yet. And I too am heartbroken and I want to figure this out and you know I think this might be a bit of a wake-up call for Miss Flo and I want to know if you're open to giving this a shot. Stan Twitter like sort of immediately jumped on this they used it to paint Olivia as a liar and an abuser who threw Florence under the bus people started comparing her to Amber Heard which is apparently now the worst thing you can call a woman in Hollywood and the project in general just seems cursed as a result but honestly like I don't really think it disputes Olivia's version of events that much, this video. Did you watch the video? I did watch the video. I took it, I think, probably in a similar way that you did, which is, yeah, this is a person trying to get, like, a difficult individual to get back on the same page, maybe. Exactly, yeah. It must be tough, like, working with actors who all have incredible egos and feel like they should be the star and the center of everything, and then to try and kind of get them to participate in the way that you need them to participate to make, like she said, safe place for her other actors to be. Like, who knows? This I don't think this video necessarily, like, negates her version of events. Yeah, I completely agree. I think people completely leapt to conclusions. I think it's clear she's trying to ingratiate herself to Shia in this video to get him to not quit. Sure. But to me, I mean, that's something that any manager would do, right? If you've got like two, I'll euphemistically use the term big personalities <laughs> who are butting heads, like this seems to me like a very typical management tactic. And it didn't work in this case, but I don't think it necessarily proves that she's lying. A lot of people have focused on the fact that she calls Florence Pugh Miss Flo when she says, oh, I think this is going to be a wake up call for Miss Flo and how that seems condescending to Florence Pugh, which I admit like it is a little condescending. But I mean, we ha we don't really have any idea like for sure what went down on set. Like we don't know Florence Pugh's side of the story. 
because she's largely kept her mouth shut and it's really been to her advantage because she's kind of the only person who comes out winning here. And not just because, as we discussed last week, she no longer has to pretend she enjoys fucking Zach Braff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Miss Flow line isn't great, admittedly. And yeah, you're right. It does come off a little condescending. But also, I mean, maybe that's part of the management tactic. Maybe that's part of the ingratiating him strategy is is getting him to think that she's a little more on his side than she necessarily is. Because who knows what the conversations was she was having with Florence at that point. You do what you got to do at that point. You do what you have to do to save your project. You do it like this. This seems to me like just a typical workplace drama type situation. And I mean, the end result of this, of course, is going to be like more attention and more press on a movie that we don't actually know is going to be good. You know what's also really funny to me about the Don't Worry Darling drama? What's that? Did you know that Chris Pine was in it? Only after I watched the trailer and then I watched it again because Chris Pine was in it. (laughs) It's so nobody knows that he's in it. I had no idea he was in it until this huge star is in it and nobody's talking about it because like nobody cares and he's going to come out of this smelling like a rose. Yeah, he seems to have a pretty large role too he plays like the boss of all the dudes i think yeah he's gonna go on this press tour he's gonna have his flip phone because he famously has a flip phone and his fanny pack and he's got like porn parody gandalf vibes right now with like huge muscles and a long ass beard and he has no idea what's going on he's probably not been on twitter since 2013 and like god bless him that's amazing like i'm so proud of him may we all be more like chris pine absolutely all right shall we talk about luca yes Good segue from Chris Pine, A1 himbo, A1 techphobic himbo, Chris Pine to like the king of himbos, Luke Cook. <laughs> well, we spend a lot of time talking about himbos and cringe creators on here. And pretty much nobody has built more of a brand making fun of himbos more than Luke Cook. An actor and former model with more than 1.2 million followers on TikTok. He's done an expert job at curating various himbos on TikTok and utterly eviscerating them with his impressions and stitched videos with a well-timed lip bite or eyebrow It also helps that he is, frankly, incredibly hot and Australian and has a very cute baby who sometimes makes appearances on his page as he corrected us. He has a podcast called The Zaddy Zone, and he's very funny. Please welcome Luke Cook to the pod. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is because we talk a lot about cringe content on TikTok. And a big part of your brand is sort of poking fun at like cringe content on TikTok. So can you tell me like, how did you sort of like start out doing this? Well, it's so interesting. You see, back in the day, I started mocking cringe content on Instagram. And so many of those cringe people were women. And so then I'd get all these comments like, hey, it's really like wrong that you do this to women. And I was like, well, there's not a lot of men doing this. But then TikTok comes along and there's this whole array of men. And I was like, finally, thank you. Now I can do what I want to do without being called a misogynist or whatever I was being called, fairly or unfairly. But then I found my little niche of finding these incredible guys who do a lot with their tongues and their mouths all the time look deeply into camera, talk about stretch marks. Yeah, I guess I've found my niche or my brand, as you just called it. Why do you think that Instagram is the home of like cringe content for women and TikTok is the home of cringe content for male creators? I think that's an interesting question. It's like, it's almost like COVID kind of brought out like men's desperation for attention. (laughs) 
<laughs> in some way. Like it was all men were so handsome men who didn't have much of a personality were so desperate for connection that they would previously have gotten pre-pandemic. And now they're like, well, now I've got to do something and I've got to somehow push traffic towards my OnlyFans. So this is probably a good idea. What do you think makes a TikTok video cringe? Any mouth movement, any lip or tongue movement. Tongues seem to be really very 2022. Any mention of tiger stripes or otherwise known as stretch marks. It's just when it's cheap, when it's like, this is clearly just, this is virtue signaling. I'm always right up the ass of anybody who does that. Do you have a favorite cringe creator on TikTok? Yeah, I'm actually starting to really love them in a way. There's a guy named Jay Kocic, who is the tongue of TikTok, I call him. He's the guy who eats things and puts his tongue out really, really early, unnecessarily early. And I found out, because I had him on my podcast recently, because I'm just fascinated by this guy, that it's actually how he eats. He just eats in this very sexual manner. And interestingly, so many people commented and say, oh, my partner eats like that. And he's my number one. Also, sweetest guy. So lovely and interesting and huge on OnlyFans. He does bisexual content on OnlyFans, but he has a girlfriend. So I really wanted to know all about that. I've got a soft spot for him now. I really actually care about him. So he like sticks his tongue out to taste the food before he actually opens his mouth to like eat it? It's like this. I don't know if this is a video thing, but like, let's just say that the food is this far away. I would just put my tongue out at this point, right? When it's necessary. He puts it out here. <laughs> That's too early. He didn't know that it was a sexual thing. His girlfriend filmed him eating once and he posted it and went viral. And everyone was like, what's with the tongue? But it's how he eats. Do these people ever get mad at you for making fun of them? Seems like that guy didn't, but what about generally? Yeah, they do sometimes. And there was a guy recently, a young fella who is a model and I mock his posing because he like actively poses during the video. So you can see him working. So he'll be smiling and then he'll straight into this like Zoolander thing. And I saw so I mocked that and this poor guy, I felt bad, but it's so funny, but he deleted the video and then a friend reached out to interview him for her podcast. And he was like, yeah, but I know that you're friends with Lou Cook and he really mocked me and it, it hurt my feelings. And I was like, oh no, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you have to know how hilarious you are. So what do you do in those situations? Do you reach out to them? I think I will reach out to him at some point. Yeah. And just say, look, don't take down who you are. Like I'm pushing publicity your way, baby. Like the Enoch guy, the guy, I don't know if you've seen Enoch. He's the guy who sits in his car and makes videos like, what would you do if you saw me at the red light? And I made him fairly famous. I think he got 30 million, 40 million views on one video because I started mocking him and then everyone else started doing it. And it's like, I made you famous. Is he the guy with the beard who's like, what would you do if you saw me at the red light? And I go. And his lip tongue thing goes for 10 seconds. And his little goatee hair gets wrapped up in his tongue and it falls slowly. And he stares into the camera in this dead eyed way. That's like, it's, it's really zombie-ish. And he just smiles. It's, oh, it makes my blood curdle. But I, but what a joy. Like he gives me material. So there's a, there's an element that of which I, I cringe at these guys and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, thank you at the same time. Yeah, we've been trying, we've been meaning to make him Himbo of the Week. Is Himbo a real thing or is this a Rolling Stone thing? Explain it to me. Okay. It's like the male version of a bimbo. We call it Head Empty Hotties. Oh. We apply it like very broadly. Like we had Drew Barrymore be Himbo of the Week once for like the rain video. It's just a state of mind. I don't know. It's a positive thing. Yeah, it's a vibe. Let's talk about that Drew Barrymore thing because I thought it was so funny, if you don't mind. Like, because I thought it was hilarious and cringy. And then I saw comments under her post that made me rethink it. And they were saying like, she's reconnecting to the child that she never got to be. And I was like, oh, wow, you've made me feel bad for thinking it's cringe. But she was a child star who was like doing drugs at the age of five. Like, it's insane. Like her life has been insane. So I do feel like, okay, it's cringe, but also like maybe we give her a pass. Her himbo brand is like so strong. But yeah, she deserves it. We love her. We stand her. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like, so people come at me for bullying and I think mockery is mockery. Bullying and bu is bullying. There's two different things there. People say, oh, mockery is bullying. It's like, no, 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 no. Bullying is bullying. Mockery is mockery. I mean, it's an Australian love language, literally. Like if I like you, I'll mock you. And so people do need to get this out of their heads that like, if I make fun of you, it's because I in a weird way, I like you. What do you see as the distinction between those two things, bullying and mockery? Oh, it's out of love. Look, some of these guys should stop doing what they're doing for the sake of them, like out of love. Like there's a better way to live your life than doing these cringe videos. Now, that, and that's that, right? But if I was to like, if I was to like, instead of stitching and mocking them, if I was to stitch it in and bully them, I'd be like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. What a disgrace. Like get a life. That would be anger out of hatred, 
that would be bullying. But instead I turn it into a little joke. So we all get to laugh. And if you're willing to, and a lot of these cringe guys are, they're like, that's funny, bro. Thank you. You wouldn't believe the amount of guys who've written to me and gone, that was so funny. Thanks. I'm like, wow. Like they're amazing. Like this guy with hairy back. He was like, what would you do if you found me in your house? He did this POV. And I was like, ah, oh. and then I started the razor up because he was incredibly hairy. I started the razor up and I was like, okay, turn around. Oh, don't bend over. We're not doing that. We're going to, he loved it. People came at me for body shaming and you're like, no, because actually body shaming has nothing to do with hair. It's all to do with body because I looked it up. I had to look it up because people were calling me body shamers, but he loved it. He was like, LOL, LOL. So it's like people getting offended on behalf of other people. So much of the time, these cringe guys are willing to have a giggle at themselves. Just going back to the himbo designation. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about the word himbo now that you know about it? Because I know that we I had asked you about that when we interviewed you like last year for the creators issue. I mean, you had not heard the term before. So what are your thoughts on it now? I hadn't put together that it was a male bimbo. And I think I in the creators issue was called the himbo. So I suppose it's not very nice, but I... <laughs> I don't mind. It's okay. It's honestly like it's the highest form of compliment for us being a himbo of the week. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, cool. I think the himbo designation came after like the reclaiming of bimbo. And so it certainly we weren't coming at it as where bimbo was a derogatory term. I think it's really interesting that you talk about this craving for attention from these men in 2020, because I think that is when you start to see this this type of content come out where it's this really thirsty almost, but in approachable way, kind of male social media star. But anyway, that's all to say himbo should not be a thing that's taken badly. Right, I'm not offended by it at all. But I, I do think it is interesting that it was perfectly acceptable for women to make that type of content on Instagram. And then when a man does it, it really doesn't it it makes you cringe more than the women ever could do there is something just so interesting about a guy doing it that's really just makes my skin crawl and i think it makes a lot of people's skin crawl it's like wow it's so weird to see a guy going come hither <laughs> and putting this content out as i said i think it was perfectly kind of acceptable societally for women to do it on instagram like four or five years ago we're all millennials this is totally foreign to us like if a guy when i was in high school had done this on social media he would have been just like roundly castigated why do you think it's okay why does gen z feel comfortable like behaving like this well i mean i just can't imagine what it would be like to grow up at a time like this like to be really young at a time like this when the internet and tiktok is so prevalent and you want to be putting stuff out and you don't know what to put out you don't really have like a fully developed brain yet because your brain fully develops at 25 you don't really know how to express yourself as well as you possibly could so thirst traps are kind of easy especially if you're a young handsome guy like you're just like oh well that's pretty easy i'll just do what he did but me and yeah i mean i'm so grateful I and mean, you probably both feel the same i'm so grateful that there was no tiktok or instagram or twitter when I was 15, I mean, I can't imagine going through my first breakup at 17 and all the things that I would have posted of myself crying, of like, she'll wish she never did that. You know, I'm so glad I never had the internet the way that they have today. So in many ways, I feel sorry for them because they're actually doing <laughs> a damage to themselves that may never go away. Like, Yeah, I mean, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that it's so much more acceptable for these guys to be like sexually performative online? than it was for our generation. Mm, I think it's a bad thing. As I just said, I, it's interesting that it was acceptable for females to do on Instagram five years ago. And I think there's a reason that we all cringe at men doing it. And I just think that it's a very, you know, this sounds, this sounds old, like an old fashioned type of thinking, but I just really think it's not a very manly thing to do. If my friend started dating a guy who did that, I'd be like, what are you doing? You really need to not date this guy. It's a huge red flag for anybody's behavior to be putting out that kind of content. So I don't think it's a good thing <laughs> for men to be doing. But for boys, you can forgive. For a man to be putting himself out and going like, hey, POV, we see each other at the train station. Or POV, I just move in next door. Or POV, I'm cooking you breakfast. Like, it's like, oh man, like, wow, that's the cringy. That's the real cringe. And I just, I just don't think it's good for men to be doing. I don't think it's a good sign for a man to be doing that. But isn't there something sort of liberating about, like, I don't know, you were a teenage boy once, like, would you have felt that it was liberating to be like objectified or to seek being objectified in a way that women were? Totally. I think I probably would have done those. If I had TikTok, I probably would do the thirst traps. Like, honestly, it was crazy. When I was young, I was a model, right? So I got found to be a model when I was 18 and I traveled all around the world. And I was so cute. 
But women, like, didn't necessarily love me. I was still, like, just a boy and I was cute and I was confident, but it was like, yeah, you're not grounded in any way. So in order to have sought that attention, there is no doubt in my mind I would have done these thirst traps. No doubt. So one thing I wanted to ask you about is, so you have a son? I have a son, Chaplin. And so every once in a while, is that is the child that you use on your TikTok? Yeah, I wouldn't use the term use, but he's there. He's there. <laughs> that you've featured. You've included. He's there and he's a joy. But yeah, that's him. I feel like there is kind of a discourse happening about whether or not people should include their children. Is that like a conversation that you and your partner have had? Is this a decision that you've made to include him sometimes? Yeah, uh, definitely. And it happened before, uh, the conversation really happened before he was born. We had a, including my sister-in-law and brother, who in the first five years of their kid's life, never posted a picture of their kid's faces anywhere online. And they have no big following or anything. And I talk, we talked to them and we talked to another couple who said things like posting pictures of your kids or videos of your kids online is doing so without their consent. And so, and I've never thought about it like that. The thing is, I guess, with social media, if you're using it perhaps correctly, or if you're using it in a way that you want to share your life with other people, you want to share with them your joy. And so my kid for me is such a huge joy. I mean, it's like beyond my comprehension that I never thought it would happen the way that he gives me joy. I just feel like to not share him would be, it just wouldn't be authentic. It feels more authentic to share him and the joy that he gives me than not to. But EJ, what do you reckon about this? If your kid is cute, which your kid is extremely cute, by the way, I have very mixed feelings about it. Honestly, I understand where and I'm sure you do as well as like a public figure who faces harassment. Like I understand the perspective of like wanting to keep your kid away from that. But at the same time, like as you were saying, it's a part of your life. You want to share your joy. So I think I see both perspectives. It is a fear that enters my head from time to time. Look, I think so long as you're not using them or playing tricks. I've seen these mean tricks on TikTok where they leave kids in that they close the bathroom door on the kid and the filter is a ghost in the bathroom with the kid and the kid screams. And look, did I enjoy it a little bit? Yes, but it's horrible. <laughs> I'm enjoying hearing you describe it, <laughs> but I'm a bad person. So I don't know. <laughs> Somebody sends you a video to like react to like, what's your criteria for something that you won't make fun of? What are the untouchable subjects for you? When it's too crass, there's a guys who spit on the camera and eat peaches in suggestive ways. Actually, I got that guy. But there was another guy, people who finger fruit. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm not going to give you any attention because it's what you're craving so badly. And it's the lowest common denominator. It's like, I think it's like the most gross thing that there is, uh, these guys who do that. What I do look for is any type of mouth movement or any type of facial expression that is like, what? <laughs> there are guys who do this smile where they're like, smile with their eyes, like, and I'm like, I gotta get ya. Tongue movements, mouth movements. It's funny to think that somebody's told these guys like, hey, that's really hot when guys do that with their mouth. Or they've just seen other guys do it on their For You page and gone, yeah, that's, that's that's hot. I'll do that. I just wanted to ask about your acting career and how your TikTok career, is that helping or hurting? I don't know. And I'd really like to know. I've been thinking about sitting down with, I have some fancy friends in the industry who are like big agents or managers and just going, what do you think? Like, really? Like, is this effing with me? Is this getting in the way of me moving towards what I prioritize in my life or acting as a, as a priority? I don't know whether it hinders or it helps it, it's so hard to tell. I think like if I wanted to be a Henry Cavill, right? A Superman-esque guy. Look, mate, it's very hard to go from dancing around in my leather panties to doing that. And so I don't really know. But the other thing is, well, I'd rather be myself than pretend to be like this squeaky clean Henry Cavill type. So I don't, I'm not sure. What do you guys think? About whether or not TikTok hurts or helps your career? Yeah, I mean, especially in reference to me. I mean, you're probably aware <laughs> a little bit of where I'm going. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think it's a bad thing? Or do you, like, do you think it's like too much expression? I would imagine that it would only help. But, but that's only from what I know about like 
other actors who are less established than you who get asked at like auditions and stuff and casting calls about how many followers they have on Instagram or how many like YouTube subs they had or things like that. Like I would imagine you're sort of past that stage in your own career. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, having a following is nothing but a good thing. But then there are certain videos that I'm like, yeah, I could see a producer seeing that and going, yeah, no, he's not it. Have you ever been recognized by like any celebrities from your TikTok or heard from any like famous people about your TikTok? Mm -hmm. Well, like people follow, some famous people follow me on TikTok, like Megan Trainer follows me. That's a nice one. Like she's, she's awesome and very funny. And I, I was in her music video like 10 years ago and they only recently released it. It was like a competition to be her boyfriend. And it was, it was like, it was as if it was a beauty contest or something. Anyway, I was one of the guys. She's very nice. And there are people who are super supportive, but not really, eh? Look, if I get recognized on the street by just people, it's always for TikTok and never for any of the acting work, even Instagram. People only like say TikTok. So that's really interesting. I will tell you, my best friend, I used to send him your TikToks all the time. And the first time he was like, oh, that's the guy from Sabrina. Not that's the guy who makes one of himbos on TikTok. Yeah, no, I get comments. I get comments all the time like, hey, that's a, is that Lucifer from Sabrina? I don't often like say yes or anything. I just think it's funny that people are like, hey, that's, we know him. It's just funny to see him here, I suppose. What sorts of roles do you want to be playing? in the future. You said you don't want to be like a Henry Cavill type, but... I don't not want to be a Henry Cavill. He's got a great career. He's so squeaky clean, is just my point. I'd love to be a comedy action type, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, in that vein. But in the end, I just like to do so many things. So I'd really love to play like serious villains, serious roles, dark roles, but then very funny and outlandish. Like I'm writing right now an Austin Powers type of movie for myself so that I can somehow get in and do secret service action with comedy, which I think I miss those big characters of the early 2000s and the 90s, like the Ace Venturas and things like that and the Austin Powerses. So I think that's where I see myself headed. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to plug? Take this opportunity. I have my own podcast. It's called The Zaddy Zone. It's a health and wellness podcast with a sense of humor. And what you guys talk about like supplements and things like that? Oh yeah, supplements sometimes. I just had a neurophysiologist on. We've had a vagina doctor. We've had a nutritionist, dietitian, had therapists on. Yeah, it's really like if you don't know where to start, it's a good place to start because it's all very easy to understand and to get. Whereas I think there's a lot of trash information out there about health and wellness. So it's just a place for, I think, people who've never listened to a health and wellness podcast before to start. What'd you learn from the vagina doctor out of curiosity? Speaking of whiz, isn't it crazy where the we comes from, the pee comes from on a woman's like pretty fascinating. Like I only recently, <laughs> this is whatever. <laughs> I watched my wife pee. I was like, can I just have a look? Like, can I see? And I was like, that is amazing that it comes from there. It's a different hole. It's a totally different hole. A totally yeah. different hole. It's so fascinating. I just didn't know what it was called. I was like, is that, so was that the, like the urethra? What's that called? I didn't know any of that. Like, so, so I think like men need to learn that. It's a great episode. It's the first episode. I thought I'd start off with a bang. We talk about squirting. We talk about babies coming out of the vagina. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a great little venture into biology. That's the kind of like male thirst trap that I want to see on TikTok. Like just <laughs> advocating great. for like awareness of the urethra. Yeah, it should be me like cooking shirtless and turning around like POV. You have a boyfriend who knows where your pee comes yeah. from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that would be like a real that'd be a real educational service that you could do with your platform. I'm actually going to do that. That's very good, EJ. Please Thank do you. do it. <laughs> Well, this has been so great. Thank you so much, Luke. I apologize for the technical difficulties and the various husbands and animals coming back and forth. So it's just life. But I love the husbands walking past and the cats and Liz freezing and it's all good. <laughs> okay. I like it. Such a pleasure. All right. So Gabby Hanna. EJ, I wasn't aware of Gabby Hanna until you brought this up to me last week. What was your previous knowledge of Gabby Hanna? It was more tangential knowledge. So I did a story on David Dobrik and the Vlog Squad, which is this big sort of like, he's a big YouTuber. He, his friends are called the Vlog Squad. They make a lot of like funny YouTube videos. I use funny kind of loosely here, but he has this like friend group called the Vlog Squad and Gabby Hanna used to be in it. So I was familiar with her 
in that capacity. So she's a former Vine star, right? That's where she got her start? Yes, I believe so. She's been a content creator for a very long time. Yeah, and I think she got her start on there doing kind of short comedy skits. But then she went on to to do, like you said, to be part of this, this vlog squad. But she also had her own YouTube series, The Gabby Show and Escape the Night. And she won a few web awards from those. But she also was attempting to be a musician and her attempts there were less than successful. So Gabby's brand kind of has become her inability to handle haters. She's widely hated. Like widely hated. Yes, widely reviled has been canceled more times than I can count. But like a rather hated than ignored kind of person. And last week, her TikTok underwent a major vibe shift that started as rants on some sort of newfound spirituality and then ended with a visit from the cops. So before this, I guess most of her recent content had been promotional, reminding her 7.5 million TikTok followers that she self-released an album called Trauma Queen in July. But yeah, out of the blue, she started posting dozens of videos a day where she's like walking around or dancing in mirrors in her home in California. A lot of it was very Jesus-y. There was some like feminist slam poetry. She has talked about whether or not she's a person of color. She's talked about trans issues, privilege and religion. And it's all kind of gotten mashed up into these. It was very offensive. (laughs) It was was very offensive. Yeah. It was very bad. Yeah. Transphobic, racist. I mean, she said a lot of really problematic shit during these rants. So in the past, she's been vocal about her bipolar disorder diagnosis, right? Which which med, which led a bunch of fans to assume that she was maybe having like a public manic episode. People initially said this is a publicity stunt because that is her brand. She exists to be hated on. And that's also kind of the go to analysis that people make when a creator is having what appears to be a meltdown, right? Like, oh, this is for clout. Like, this is for views. But it became I think it became very clear very quickly that it was not this was genuine and that she was having a health crisis. Sure. She was having a mental health crisis. What do you think it was that made people be like, this isn't a stunt. This is an actual crisis. I mean, just the deluge of content, just that she was posting dozens and dozens and dozens of videos for like days on end. And this is sort of one of the hallmarks of mania. If you have bipolar disorder is that you have these cycles where you are incredibly active and productive for like long periods of time. And I and I think that this is sort of like a classic example of that. And also just the things that she was saying. I mean, she wasn't really, she was incoherent. She like wasn't making a lot of sense. Can anyone understand the simulation theory? You guys literally just watched a video game. You don't believe the Jesus theory. Okay, fine. What do you want then? My sisters, help me. (laughs) They say the hardest part about going crazy is not knowing if you're crazy and like these series. Maybe we're all ghosts. Like, yeah, it's all just words. It's all just words. And everybody speaks different languages at different ages. And we never took the time to just stop and read and understand each other and our history. It was next level. It was very clear that she was going through something. Yeah. And then there was Nick, who's one morning, I guess, Gabby posted this video saying she just let a stranger in her house. He'd knocked on their door and she just let him in and they had done their prayers and had some coffee and were going to go out for a run. And then people started getting really concerned. She had texted a friend, I guess, to, to be like, oh, this random gentleman came over and he was like, please get that person out of your house. You can't trust strangers to just show up there. And then, so while Gabby left off the initial attempts by her friends to warn her, her her brief bond with Nick eventually ended with another video. Gabby pressed Nick saying, I know you know who I am before screaming at him to get out of their house and posting several follow-up clips thanking daddy, which I guess is her word for God, for protecting his little Ruby. And this guy was like streaming from her house, like making it seem like he was like intervening in this mental health crisis. Like this was definitely an example of somebody like jumping onto this incident of somebody having a health crisis. That's what it was like. I don't think we really need to dance around it. Like it seems pretty apparent to me. That's what was going on. And he was very much using it for clout. Sure. So after that, Gabby posted a video in which she said five police officers came to her house, detained her, cuffed her and made her undergo a psych evaluation. 
So after that, she both thanked the cops and rebuked them for demeaning her in her own house during what she called an illegal break-in and search. Anyway, we've kind of touched on this, but it seems like there are two larger conversations about whatever Gabby is currently going through. One is that why are people on TikTok calling police for a mental health crisis, especially after the last couple of years of all the conversations around the role of police in our communities, given the risks of calling the cops on someone who's having a mental health crisis? Like, why do people still think that's a good idea? I don't know. I think that people don't know better. We have these parasocial relationships with these creators who have huge followings if we see that they're going through something or if we see that they're in any kind of like turmoil like what is our recourse like what are we supposed to do if we see somebody on the internet who we don't know personally having a mental health break and I think people's go-to is to call the police regardless of whether or not it's the smartest thing to do or it's the most constructive thing to do just because we don't know I mean we don't know any better we just don't talk about it like what would have been the best recourse here like obviously one of the things that could have been done is contacting Gabby's loved ones but I mean Gabby has spoken about how she is not in touch with her family or is estranged from her family and she's an influencer so it's not like the these are immediately accessible people so it's not really an option here sure and obviously her videos most of them didn't necessarily violate TikTok's terms of use. But is there more that TikTok could be doing? Like, should there be like a this influencer is experiencing a mental health crisis button that they're like putting on the app? A lot of people were talking about that at the time. Should these platforms be doing more to protect creators? And it's a really hard discussion. It reminds me a lot of, have we talked about Eugenia Cooney at all? I don't think so. So Eugenia Cooney, she's the OG YouTuber. She has always very clearly had an eating disorder and has gotten sicker and sicker, worse than worse, has consistently denied it, even as her fans have constantly been begging her to get help. And she eventually took some time away from the platform. As a result of it, later came back, admitted she did have an eating disorder, but said it was no longer a problem. Problem. It's clear from her appearance that that is not the case. And it raised all these different conversations about like one of the conversations that it did raise was whether YouTube had a responsibility to kick this person off the platform because they were clearly modeling wildly unhealthy and unsafe behavior. And I think it's a very ethically fraught conversation, right? Because Eugenia is an adult. Gabby is an adult. They're entitled to use their platforms however they want. Like, who's to say what guideline they are violating simply by existing on the platform if they, regardless of whether they're undergoing a health crisis or not? So I think that's one argument. And the other argument is that, of course, they have the right. They should be intervening. Like, Sure. I mean, but like, imagine if you had to put in like an emergency contact when you're signing up for a thing like this. And if enough people notify the platform, then they notify the emergency contact. Because I guess I'm, I'm less worried about the adults on this platform who presumably will be able to find help or presume she's big enough that her loved ones and people she knows will probably go out of their way to find out what's going on here. But not everyone on these platforms who are experiencing crises are getting write-ups on TMZ and talked about on podcasts. So I just, I'm thinking kind of more as like how many 13-year-olds are doing this on the platform that are just going totally under the radar? Yeah, I think that's a good question. <laughs> and I'm sure it happens every day. And it's not a bad idea, especially for children that young. There's just no playbook for what can be done in these situations. Definitely. No, it's really difficult. And I think anytime you've got this much content coming through where you're relying on just other people in the community to be looking out for it, it's really, it's tough. There's no good answer from the platforms. On that wildly uplifting note. <laughs> the answers can be found in the MTV video games. Welcome to Moral Panic, where we discuss the latest trend people on the internet are urinating in their diapers about. If you follow the account libs of TikTok, which you really should not, unless it is part of your job, as it is for me, the one thing that you would know from it, like pretty much like the one thing that you'd be able to glean is that LGBTQ people across the country are sex-crazed maniacs trying to corrupt our children. There's a new trend in the gay community, according to libs of TikTok, and that is recruiting our children to be strippers. So late last week, this clip went viral because libs of TikTok reposts 
clips that on TikTok or various social media platforms that make liberals, quote unquote, look bad. And this clip was from the Charlotte, North Carolina Pride Parade in which a woman in a G-string is seen going down a pole with a small child. The clip was actually not posted initially by libs of TikTok. It was posted by this woman named Penny Maxwell. I did a little bit of digging into Penny Maxwell. She's a pastor for a North Carolina-based megachurch called Freedom House. I would say that Penny's claim to fame is probably sending out an email in 2013 asking that only white people be at the front door to greet the congregation, which she later was like, sorry, (laughs) my bad. And she's also well known for ignoring public health directives at the height of COVID when North Carolina asked churchgoers to wear masks. This is her giving a sermon about it where she basically says, like, go fuck yourself. The county commissioners decided they were going to tell churches that they now were going to have to mask their people before they came into the doors, to which we said, no, you won't. But Penny really topped herself here when she posted this video. And the video features this woman named Whitney Ann, who is the owner of a local pole dancing studio called Pole Body and Arts. It was a sponsor at Charlotte Pride. That's why they had a booth there. She's also a former stripper. And in Penny's post, which she captioned, this is straight up child abuse and should be investigated immediately. She reveals Whitney's actual name, which is something that puts sex workers in particular at tremendous risk, let alone non-sex workers on the internet. She also didn't censor the kid's face. And she later did a follow-up post where she tagged the kid's mother so people could harass the kid's mother, which is even worse. It ended up getting picked up by libs of TikTok, the Daily Mail, Fox News, all the usual offenders. And I got in touch with Whitney who said she's been getting nonstop harassment ever since. That wasn't really surprising because I've spoken to, unfortunately, a lot of libs of TikTok victims at this point. And she also gave me a little bit of background about the video itself. She didn't want to reveal anything about the kid or her relationship to the kid because she's understandably worried about the parents getting doxxed. But apparently the kid thought it was like going down a fireman's pole. He could completely not see the sexual context if there even is any. And I can sort of like attest to that. Like I have a five-year-old and that's certainly what he would have thought. He probably would have seen her outfit and been like, cool, I can see her belly button and also I'm going down a fireman's pole. Like that is how he would have computed that situation. I mean, that's the thing about libs of TikTok, right? Is And all of these clips in general is they take this much more sophisticated idea of like context and then assume that these little kids can understand like if you're talking about so-and-so has two dads, then immediately like they're imagining the two dads fucking. Yes, exactly. What they are really skilled at doing is imbuing non-sexual situations with sexual context and applying it to children who don't know anything about sex (laughs) for the most part, who don't who don't think about sex or it's not a factor for them. But they apparently are walking around thinking that children are just as obsessed with sex as they are, which is interesting and really an insight into their psyche, despite how much they complain about groomers and pedophiles. I also think it's kind of important to talk a little bit about the context of pole dancing here, because the video, if you watch the video independently, you think, oh, lady in a thong going down a stripper pole. This has to be sexual. But pole dancing actually has like a pretty complicated history. I don't know if you remember this, Liz, but like about a decade or two, it was this fitness trend that sort of went mainstream. It was definitely when I was in high school and I definitely begged for a stripper pole and my mom definitely would not let me have one. Did you take a class? I didn't. I just really wanted to. And I think I was like too shy to like do it like in a class. So I was like, what if I just got one? And my mom tried to explain to me how like a third floor apartment in Chicago wasn't going to like support a stripper pole in my bedroom. So she didn't have any moral objection to it. She just had a structural objection. (laughs) I mean, of all the things I was doing at that point, I feel like if I was like, I want to get some exercise in this like heart healthy way, my mom probably would have been like, oh, that's a great idea. Could you please like (laughs) not disappear anymore? I would have had to be like a long conversation about the connotations of it. And like, was I doing this in a sexual way or in like just like a body positive way? But we didn't get that far because there's absolutely no way there was going to be a stripper pole installed in an apartment. Architecturally, it was unsound. Architecturally, yeah, it was a no-go. I mean, did you know that there were pole dancing competitions for children? I did not. Tell me more about those. Yeah, I didn't either. But Whitney told me about them and I was looking it up on YouTube and like I was able to find a lot of them are German 
for some reason, but <laughs> I was able to find like countless videos of kids like as young as six competing professionally at this. So like, it's not that uncommon or unheard of for children to be doing pole dancing. I mean, they've got the upper body strength to like hold themselves up in a way <laughs> that like adults just don't. That is true. <laughs> That is true. You should encourage that. Build that muscle young so that they can keep it into adulthood. There are a lot of sex workers who are unhappy with the popularization of polling and the fact that it's become like so mainstream and their counter argument is like, well, you guys are trying to not make this sexual. Of course, this is sexual. Like we've been doing this for years. It is clearly sexual. And I think Whitney's view on it when we talked about this is basically it can be sexual. It can be not. It really, it depends on the context. And her stance, which I think is a very reasonable one, is obviously a small child going down a pole who thinks it's a fireman's pole. It's not sexual. So I think it's it's a complicated, the context is complicated, but I think it could really go either way. Definitely. I mean, I think for any kind of performance like that, so much is in intent and is in the way that you approach it and not in just like dancing on a stage. That could be sexual. That could be totally fine. Yeah, it's, it's like the same argument with like the drag queen brunches, which actually yeah. I think is like even less ambiguous. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed, yeah. Just the idea that like someone dressed as Dolly Parton like swinging their wig around your mimosa singing Jolene is like inherently sexual. It's, I just, I do not understand that at all. It's a fabulous person who put on a great fucking outfit this morning. Like if that, if the only context you have for that is like sexual, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's far more reflective of <laughs> you as a person and the lens with which you view the world. Like it is far more reflective of that than anything else. Absolutely. This is not the first time, by the way, that one of these stories has gone viral. Like even a couple weeks ago, like there was a video of a child going down a pole at a pride parade in Pennsylvania and that went viral after it was shared by libs of TikTok. And the man in that video, who wasn't even like a stripper or a pole dancer, he was just like a hairdresser who was just like helping this kid get on a pole because the kid wanted to go down a pole because it's fun for kids to go down poles. <laughs> he got doxxed. They seem to think that this is a way that... LGBTQ people are like recruiting children to the cause, but it's unclear like what the cause is. Like, is the cause being fabulous? Is it having really strong thighs and calf muscles? Like, is it wearing spandex underpants? Like, these are all things that like I like as a parent, I'm fine with. Yeah, man. Recruit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> options for himbo of the week this week first there was the kid who went viral for waxing rhapsodic about his love of corn now he's doing cameos for like 150 dollars because capitalism what do you like about corn it's cold So that was one option for Hambo of the week. Then there was this guy who lost a fantasy football bet and had to sit in a diner for 24 hours eating 24 pancakes. And in the first video, he could barely get through three pancakes in one hour and everybody absolutely roasted him. But personally, I had to go with this group of absolute fucking queens who thought they had booked a trip to Paris, but didn't. It's a three minute video. It is a masterpiece. The caption is flight to Paris goes wrong and boy does it. We're going to Paris. <laughs> Never mind, we're not going to Paris because we booked the flight for January, 2023. From there, it just proceeds to get worse. The airline doesn't even fly to Paris. <laughs> they booked a hotel room in Paris that they can't cancel. And then they try to go to Burger King to quote unquote figure this out, which seems like a fairly insurmountable task because there's nothing there's nothing to figure out. <laughs> like they just they just booked the wrong flight to Paris. They're not going to Paris. I also cannot stress enough just how insane these girls in flight outfits are. Did you see them? No, now I must. Oh my god. <laughs> they are wearing the most ludicrous outfits for do you think like a lot about what you wear on a plane? Because I think about it very carefully. I didn't until I accidentally uh, got stuck in Berlin for 48 hours without my luggage. Mm -hmm. And now I think intensely about what outfit I can both wear on a plane and be stuck in a different city for up to 48 hours with and be no warm, change of right? clothes. 
like warm and comfortable. Sure. It's a very complex algorithm. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, it needs to be comfortable enough, but also warm enough for the awful air on any flight. Exactly. That's the calculus that has to be made. Yeah. These girls did not make that calculus. One of them is wearing a bra and gym shorts. Another one is wearing Flintstone boxers. She's just wearing boxers. They're in an airport in Barcelona and she's just wearing boxers. Like it's wildly impractical. And then they have to spend the night at the airport to catch the next flight. And they react like pretty much exactly the same way I would to that, which is just complaining about it and complaining about it as I did when I was stuck in JFK for seven hours (laughs) flying out to LAX on my last flight. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) It was very triggering to watch. I was like, this is probably exactly how I sounded. I'm so tired and I'm walking. I look homeless in this airport. I just had a mental breakdown. Oh my gosh, why? <laughs> I need to have a shower. But they make it to Paris somehow. Then the airline loses her bag. I think my favorite part about it, though, is just that they refuse to take any responsibility for their lack of organization or forethought whatsoever. By the end of the video, they just descend into incoherence. Somebody who preyed on her downfall, like, what is actually happening? This People is not a joke anymore. Happy. At first, it was like kind of bad. Now it's like no, actually a it's curse. Bad. But at least we made it. (laughs) At the end, they make it to Paris, but I don't think they're in Paris. Like, the video does not look like they're in Paris. Where do you think they are? It looks like they're in the Caribbean or something. How could you possibly confuse the Caribbean for Paris? I don't know. What are these girls going through? You you need to watch the video because, <laughs> because there are all these questions. Like, you think that a human being can't do any of these things, but then they somehow manage to do it. Hold on, I'm actually, I'm going to watch this video, like, immediately right now. Hold on. I'm trying to figure out where in Paris they could possibly be. It's at the very end. I'm also not, you've been in Paris way more than I have, like, So I'm not like a Paris expert, but it did not look like Paris to me. That does not look like Paris to me. I've (laughs) been in Paris several times. It looks vaguely European. It could be like, maybe it's the south of France, but I don't see anywhere. I don't have any idea where in Paris that would actually be. Right. And you're a Paris expert. Like this is... Like, we might as well have could have, like, asked a geolocation person. (laughs) Basically, yes. To, like, address this. So, you know. Yeah, I can say a thousand percent with absolute certainty that that is not Paris. I think they're confused which is fine. I think they ended up in uh, just like on the Mediterranean, which good for them. And then their outfits will make more sense there. You do not wear Flintstone boxers to Paris. I wish I were friends with them, though. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. I want to go on a trip with them now and just see like we book it to Jamaica and end up in like Barbados. And you're like, cool, this isn't where we were supposed to go, but I like it here. Yeah, but I also I truly hope that they never vote in an election. God help us all. Yeah. You've been scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Liz Garber-Paul, with some special help this week from Rolling Stone's new internet culture reporter, C.T. Jones. Welcome, C.T. Welcome! Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian DeMeglio. 